Good. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Mets Legends cast. It's me, Rob. I'm here with Mike J. We're feeling pretty good. Mets are in first place. They split a series with the San Diego Padres this past weekend, and they yes. were in every game pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have realistically won on Thursday. Uh, the kind of debate there was, do you send Billy McKinney home on that triple that he hit to deep right field? Um, kind of hard to tell. But 4-3 to three loss on that one, I believe. Um, they lost 2 nothing on Friday, and then – they took the last two games of the series behind Jacob deGrom and Marcus Stroman. And today actually is the anniversary of when the Mets drafted Jacob deGrom in the mm-hmm. ninth round out of Stetson University in Florida. Um, I believe that was the draft of 2010. So it's the 11-year anniversary of that. And uh, one has to argue, I mean, that, that, uh, that pick might be the best pick in that entire draft. And that was a pretty good draft too. Bryce Harper mm-hmm. was in that draft as well. Manny Machado, I believe. Mm-hmm. But Jacob deGrom was the, is the one who sticks out uh, being drafted in the ninth round. That was a really uh, savvy pick mm-hmm. uh, in Omar Minaya's last, last draft uh, as the Mets general manager. And he was a guy right. that always really, he was a guy who really always drafted pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the Mets draft history, it's actually pretty good. Um, yeah. For the most part, especially recently. But, you know, same draft that they took Matt Harvey as well, uh, number seven overall, which is pretty cool. I mean, when you, look at the, when you look at the list of just the first rounders, like I just pulled it up. You got Bryce Harper, Jamison Tyone, Manny Machado, Drew Pomeranz, Matt Harvey, Delino DeShields, Yasmani Grandal, Chris Sale, Mike Fultonavich, Christian Yelich. Wow, there was actually a lot of really good players in that draft. And then also guys that have just been serviceable, mm. um, which really is all you want out of a yeah. first-round pick uh, at the very least. And, and rounding out that first round, you also have Noah Syndergaard, Taiwan Walker, and Nick Castellanos, who have all kind of like come around recently, mm-hmm. um, which, which is really cool to see. I mean – this is, this is a really good draft. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how it all shakes out when everybody's kind of retired and everything, because you mm-hmm. got some guys who are, um, you know, figuring it out sort of now, like guys like Nick Castellanos and Taiwan Walker. Uh, but also you have guys who have been around the league and are superstars like Bryce Harper, Christian Yelich, um, mm-hmm. and, and the like. So, I mean, really cool draft. Really, I, I love looking at old drafts and just seeing how things shake out um because i'm looking at baseball almanac right now and you know the the names that are grayed out are the ones that didn't ever make it to the major leagues and there's like still like 10 names here give us some of them from the first round that didn't make it like it's crazy yeah give us some of those guys names who are some of those guys i want to see if i remember any of them (laughs) good luck okay uh barrett lou he was uh (laughs) Let me try to guess what let me try to guess what teams they were. Oh sure, by. sure, sure, sure. All like right. <laughs> so uh Barrett Lou um was he Colorado? No, Arizona Diamondback. Same division. You're close. Okay. Uh Karsten Whitson. Pitcher. Ooh, I've never passed. I've never even heard of that guy. <laughs> Drafted <laughs> by the San Diego Padres, ninth overall. Okay. Jake Skoll. Chicago White Sox. 
Texas Rangers. <laughs> mm. Hayden Simpson, pitcher from South Arkansas mm. University. Pass, I don't know. Josh Sale, right fielder from Bishop Blanchett High School. I wonder if he's related to Chris Sale. Uh, Cincinnati Reds. No, Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> We're not getting anywhere with this. <laughs> I thought this was going to go a little bit better. I used to spend a lot of time looking at, uh, at first-round uh, uh, MLB drafts, first rounds. Yeah. Um, but Barrett Lowe well, is the only one who, like, really sticks out. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean – in a toss-up between like the Diamondbacks and the Rockies, I think that was a that was a decent guess for Barry Lou at least. I knew it was some team out there in the West. Yeah, but yeah, good draft overall. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty interesting to think about that the Mets have had Matt Harvey, Jacob Degrom, Noah Syndergaard, and Taiwan Walker, mm-hmm. who were all in that 2010 draft that have all played pretty big roles in different rotations for them over the last five or six years. Totally. Um, and that's pretty good. I mean, Walker, obviously not drafted by the Mets, but now he's a Met. Um, Syndergaard being acquired, but it is pretty incredible to think about that Harvey and DeGrom were both taken in that same draft. Yeah. Uh, and if Harvey's career continued on the way that it was kind of looking like it was going to, that might have been one of the best Mets drafts of all time. Totally. Uh, and even still might be, uh, you know, just for I mean, DeGrom if, alone. If Jacob DeGrom ends up in the Hall of Fame, I think it's still it's still got to be up there, like no matter who else they picked, right? I mean, at the end of, of the day, Matt Harvey still provided the performances that he did in a Mets uniform, and, and I don't think that can be, you know, that can never be taken away from him, obviously. But, I mean, he did some really, truly amazing things in his short time with the Mets, it's just, you know, been so overshadowed at this point by, uh, by Jacob deGrom. Yeah. And it is pretty incredible to think about Matt Harvey because you think about Harvey and he was really only like a, a full season contributor for two seasons. Yeah. And it feels a lot more than that. 2012, yeah. he came up mid year. Um, kind of gave us a glimpse into the future. But 2013 is where he really bust onto the scene. Um, missed all of 2014. And then 2015, he comes back. So, But in those two years, I mean, he got to play in a World Series in 2015. And he also got to start an All-Star game at City Field in 2013. Struck out Miguel Cabrera. Um, yeah. At the height of his power, which was awesome. Yeah. I mean, so like Harvey, you know, he obviously – uh didn't have the kind of career that I think most people expected him to or it looked like he was gonna have. But I think that he made his mark in those short seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh those two short seasons as a as a Matt. Yeah. Um and, and speaking of Taiwan Walker, I mean, you know, obviously he's his career has been in fits and starts, but you know, give that guy credit for having, you know, having been a, a major prospect for a while coming up and, and having different, you know, different stretches of success. And then finally kind of putting it all together this season. Still, I would call this, you know, what what he's made like nine or 10 starts so far. Like it's still just a stretch, but if he can keep it up throughout the season, I mean, that's, 
that's incredible for him. And, and, you know, it really puts into perspective how many different avenues a major league career can take when you have just looking at this draft alone, when you have guys who have contributed at different points um, across a, a pretty long time span. So yeah, I love looking at this stuff. <laughs> Baseball is a really interesting sport in that respect, right? Because I think more so than any other sport, mm-hmm. you're able to reinvent yourself in certain ways, right? Absolutely. And so I think someone that's, there's a couple of people that come to mind and diff, for different reasons. One of them is Daniel Bard, who is the closer yeah. for the Rockies now. Yeah. Daniel Bard throws really hard now. He throws 101, you know, 100 kind of regularly. Mm-hmm. And he was a guy who, as of a couple of years ago, was out of baseball altogether. Yeah. Because he, he had the yips and he couldn't find the strike zone. Mm-hmm. And he worked his way back. And now he's playing a vital role in a, bull, a major league bullpen. Mm-hmm. I say vital a little loosely in this context because he's on the Rockies, <laughs> who aren't who aren't not not a dig at the Rockies by any means, but it can be a dig a at the Rockies. They're not good. All right, like <laughs> they're really bad. They're yeah. actually really bad. But uh, but when you look at, I mean, so I mean, this is obviously not a Rockies pod, but having been a recent uh, goer of Rockies games living out <laughs> here in Denver, um, it's been really interesting to follow this team. Because, you know, you always hear about like the home and away splits, but I feel like for, for a team like the Rockies, but I feel like since they don't really have a superstar other than Trevor's story anymore, like a guy like Trevor's story is always going to get it done no matter where he is, whether he's on the road or at home. Charlie Blackman in his prime was that guy. Nolan Arenado has been that guy. Um but now that it's like just Trevor's story, I feel like the the difference between playing in Coors Field and everywhere else is just completely intensified. Um, I feel like this year, especially, they are they have like four wins on the road so far this year. But at home, cool. they're they're like a contender. It's insane. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, they have a lot of young guys on their team too, right? So they, they have do. a lot of young yeah. guys who are coming up in the Rockies organization. Mm-hmm. And so they get used to playing at home. And I feel like that, that adjustment on the road might be a little bit more difficult for that reason, because they are True. young and they, they don't have that major league experience outside of Colorado um, for whatever reason. I mean, there's, there, there's a lot of factors I'd imagine, but yeah. Well, and one of them yeah. being that pitches just don't break as much in Colorado. Like they don't. So I feel like the hitters for, for a hitter, it's a lot easier to pick up, you know, a pitch that doesn't break as much as it usually does. And then all of a sudden you go on the road, you go out to San Francisco, you go out to Los Angeles and not only are the pitches breaking more, but you're up against way better pitching anyway, you know, with those yeah. staffs that they have and it, particularly in San Francisco and LA. And I say that cause they're in the same division. So it's, it's really an interesting team to follow. Um, and, you know, if the Mets don't end up re-signing Marcus Stroman, I really hope the Rockies do, because I think he would do really well out here and he would be the kind of pitcher that could actually make this team compete. And he seems to have really 
or he he he's the kind of pitcher who has the kind of stuff that would play well in mm-hmm. Colorado. And he he pitched well in Colorado this year when when the Mets played out there. He did. I um, went to that game. It was really really fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I, I hope the Mets resign Marcus Stroman. I do too. Um, yeah, but if if they don't, yeah, you know, with Stroman, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's a he's a uh, he's an impending free agent. And so, and he's very vocal regardless. And so who knows if it's just like, yeah, he's trying to build his, his character for free agency. I don't peg him as the kind of person that would do that necessarily, but you know, he is also maybe thinking towards the future. Um, But it does seem like he really likes playing for the Mets and I hope that they do resign him. Um, And I think that, he's really gelled with these guys. I love his positivity oh, yeah. uh, on a daily basis. And I think that he really is an integral part to that clubhouse. I think having a guy like him around is really important and it's really special. And just being able to see him so engaged with the fan base is really cool. And yeah. it's something I've never really quite seen from a player so far uh, in a Mets uniform. I mean, he's, you look at Stroman, he, he retweets his fans all the time. He likes tweets all the time. He responds mm. a lot. Uh, he's very engaging. Um, and I, th- I really like that. And then on the field too, I mean, he's been great this year. Um, him and Taiwan Walker have really picked up the slack of the Mets not having Carlos Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard this early in the season. Yep. And then David Peterson not really pitching like he did last year. Yeah, I really hope Peterson can figure it out, too, because, I mean, the, the talent is certainly there. We've seen him be really successful. Um, and, you know, one thing that I feel like I hear a lot on on David Peterson is that, you know, when things get tough, he can usually work through it, but he hasn't been working through it this year, which is kind of tough to see, but kind of also makes sense because he's such a young guy that, you know, a lot of young pitchers kind of go through that. I mean, even Jacob deGrom, who is by all means the pinnacle of pitching right now, you know, at this, at this, I think I saw a tweet today that was like at this time in, you know, in his first year, he had like a four, seven, five ERA, you know, which is like still playable, but, uh, but certainly not Jacob deGrom standard. So uh, it's, weird to, it's weird to even think about, that someone like DeGrom had an ERA that high. But yeah, I know. <laughs> think about how much velocity he's been able to add to his fastball. I mean, he's added like five, six miles per hour to his fastball, which is unreal. Yeah. But the thing with David Peterson is that it's kind of, we're kind of at a weird time in baseball right now where Peterson debuted last season, mm-hmm. where the, where the season started, even later than where we are right now, it didn't, it wouldn't even have started for like six more weeks. if this was last year. Right. We weren't and even so, in, in summer camp yet. Yeah. They, I don't even think at this point, they really even knew if there was going to be a season. Yeah. And so Peterson stepped up last year when Syndergaard was hurt, Stroman opted out. Yep. Um, and the Mets were running out Porcello and Michael Waka and all those guys. And he pitched really well, but you have to figure Peterson probably would have spent all year at AAA last year. Anyway, mm-hmm. maybe he would have debuted around when he did last year, but regardless of that, he pitched well in the shortened 60 game season, but it was a shortened 60 game season and there were no fans in the stands. And 
it was a different kind of circumstance. Certainly. Now he's being stretched out for a full season in the major leagues where he probably could have benefited for some more time at AAA. And he's um, getting at bats, which he wasn't last season. Yeah, that's another thing. Pitchers are pitchers are hitting again mm-hmm. um, after not doing so for almost two years, a um, year and a half. And so, I don't know. It's tough. Peterson, I think, will be a good serviceable pitcher. He's a former first-round pick, too. I think mm-hmm. people are a little bit too tough on him. And he's only 25. He's yeah. a young kid. Um, and so, I think that – he probably wouldn't even have been in the majors if everyone was healthy anyway. He probably would be at AAA right now, but I think the guy will be all right. Um, and it's not even like he's really been horrible. He's had like a couple like really bad outings, but even still his ERA is if it's in like, if it's like around four for like a number five starter, you can kind of deal with that in the interim. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of silly to give up on David Peterson. Like some no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm definitely far from that. I mean, and it's it's a little. It's also a little unfair because of how amazing the rest of the rotation has been this year. I mean, when you follow up guys, Degrom, Stroman, and Walker, three days in a row, just absolutely shutting teams down. And then what? David Peterson gives up seven or eight hits, and you're like, oh, this is terrible. But it's like, well, <laughs> it's kind of just like league average, you know? People think too much of, for whatever reason, people think about David Peterson in the same context as they did Steven Matz, um, which is weird. And I'm not really sure why. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just because they're lefties, which is Young which lefties is kind of that silly. came through the system, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like lefties that like maybe get a little frazzled, but I don't really see a lot of similarities to David Peterson and Steven Matz, honestly. Not either. No, no. And well, and that's the, that's the big thing. I think that's the biggest difference between them is that even when things are going poorly for Peterson, he doesn't get frazzled. He like his, his mindset on the mound, you know, you could see the moment when Steven Matz was going to fall apart in a, in a start, <laughs> like he would turn around, he would, punch his glove or he would scream something or he would you know there would be some sort of like physical reaction to what's going on you're like all right here we go you know he's going to give up four hits in a row all doubles and they're going to score three runs um (laughs) like i i just got that feeling watching that's you know um but with peterson it's a little bit he has a little bit more um composure i guess is the word i would use where you know you've seen him work out of those binds and and you know gary keith and ron talk about it all the time with him where you know he he'll get in a spot and he'll really bear down um and it's just it's just a totally different approach to i think uh to pitchers getting into trouble yeah and and the thing is too uh i kind of wanted to tie it back into what we were talking about earlier where oh guys have a lot of there's a lot of different avenues that careers go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and a guy I wanted to mention, I didn't get a chance to, was Zach Wheeler, someone who comes to mind a lot, where he came up in 2013 and then he didn't really fully get it together until 2018, five years later, where he became like a really good pitcher. And even after that, like 2019, and now 2021, it's like now, like now, like 2021, it's like he's really on the top of his game. Yeah. And that's and seven, to see. seven, eight years later. Uh, and so, I don't know, Peterson's 25. 
like there's still so much time for him to establish the kind of pitcher that he's going to be. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think that he just hasn't benefited from the Mets having like a very deep rotation and a lot of options uh, at the moment. And so like, but it might be good for him because he, he's going to just get get every opportunity really to work through the kind of issues that he's had because no one's yeah. really going to replace him. They don't really have anybody that can replace him at this point. And oftentimes that's what a player needs. I think, you know, um, when there, when there is no other option, like I think as soon as, I think as soon as like Syndergaard and Carrasco get healthy, I think then his back will be more up against the wall and he'll have to perform in order to stay in the rotation. Um, and ultimately I think it's going to come down to either him or Lucchese, who's going to be, uh, you know, either sent down or, or DFA. I'm not sure the structure of, of Lucchese's contract. Does he still have minor league options? I think he does. Um, okay. He also, he also comes with like a ton of control. Like he has a lot of, uh, he has like a, like a few more years of control because okay. I think he debuted in 2018 or 2019. So he has like three or four. Got more years of I think he does have options too. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, so, I mean, and that's, that's a great problem to have, I think, as, as an organization for the Mets is that once, once your full force rotation is healthy, uh, having those options, you know, giving, giving guys like Lucchese and Peterson this much, major league experience obviously it would be frustrating to be sent down but that allows you know time away from that media spotlight that can you know really just intensify a lot of the stressors that these young pitchers have that they need to work through um and then you know they can come up all the better uh the next time around which i i think wheeler did something similar right like he had struggles they sent him down and he came back up and was and was good again yeah, and we, I mean, Wheeler, Wheeler was someone who I think struggled with that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he had he struggled with kind of just coming at hitters. Like he would, yeah, he, he would kind nibble. of beat around the bush. Yeah, he, was he would a kind of try nibbler. to paint corners. Yeah, you know, he didn't have like the. Um, there's a word that's escaping me right now, but like he just didn't have like the wherewithal to like just come at guys until like the last year or two of his Mets tenure. Um, Which is crazy because he has like top of the line stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like, it really bothers me like with the Mets old regime when they would just smear guys on the way out. Like Brody Van Wagenen, when, when Wheeler signed with the Phillies said something along the lines of we helped Zach Wheeler parlay two like half good seasons into a five-year, $115 million deal or something like that. So ridiculous. Um, and it's that, yeah. it's that, it's like, it's like that post-injury nastiness too, that, that the old regime had that, that we've talked about before where, you know, it's just like, why are you so personally offended by injury? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It was like, whenever like someone would scorn them, they, yeah. they would, they would just, they, they were like children uh, about it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But regardless, uh, you know the Mets are Mets are doing pretty good right now, and so feeling good. Feeling that's good something to, That's something that's uh, that's something that's pretty exciting. 
And, you know, we have a little bit of exciting news too for us, uh, for me and Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, our podcast is going to be uh, part of the Metsmerized uh, network now. And so you'll be able to see when we post a new episode, it'll be in our morning briefings in the digital section. Uh, there will be a post introducing us uh, this week. Um, and so uh, if you guys read Metsmerized, we're happy to be a part of uh, that on that front. Of course, I've, I've written for Metsmerized for many years. Mike has been a, a reader of Metsmerized for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so we're really stoked to be joining uh, the digital aspect of that, you know, along with a few other podcasts that have already been in that network. Um, and so I think that's uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. It's kind of cool to kind of have both of these worlds of mine uh, kind of come together. Yeah, it's got to be super exciting for you having having been part of Metsmerized uh, for a little while now. But, you know, as as someone who just randomly reached out to you on Twitter, it's definitely it's definitely a cool feeling. Um, yeah yeah becoming part of something that i've been reading for for years and years so yeah i mean i'm definitely glad that (laughs) i'm definitely glad that you reached out on twitter and uh (laughs) you know i can't can't really foresee uh you know doing this without you at this point you know so um, yeah of course man and so you know i'm looking forward to us being able to continue to grow um you know and and, uh regards to our podcast with that's so you guys are listening, make sure to check us out over there. You know, nothing's going to change on our page at all on Twitter, but this should be a good opportunity for us to get some more listeners. And, uh, you know, thanks to, to Joe D for, uh, for, you know, bringing us on in that respect. Yeah. Um, so we just wanted to drop that in really quick, but uh, yeah, I'm happy the Mets are doing well. The bench mob is still bench mobbing. Uh, the Love Mets it. are 29 and 23 at the time of this recording. Uh, they're playing the Baltimore Orioles tonight. It's a little rainy here in New York. Don't know what it's like in Maryland. Hopefully they get the game in tonight. Um, but uh, the Mets are playing a, a pretty beleaguered uh, Baltimore team that also doesn't have their ace, John Means, because he's on the injured list at the moment. Right. And so they got to, they got to do what you're supposed to do to bad teams and they got to go in there and they got to steamroll them in the next couple games. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it, it, we talked, we've talked about it for the past three or four episodes now, but you know, what, what this team has been able to accomplish with the laundry list of injuries that they've had is nothing short of spectacular. Um, but if they intend to continue to be, you know, Kings of the NL East, you're right. They gotta they gotta take both these games from a from a Baltimore Orioles team that is really not even trying to win this season. Like, yeah, <laughs> they're gonna. I you know I'm just waiting for the news from Jeff Passan or somebody to say you know the Baltimore Orioles trade Cedric Mullins to whomever. Uh, yeah. Maybe the Mets. Who knows if Brandon Nimmo can't come back? I feel like you know Cedric Mullins could be a decent uh, trade option, but. Yeah, the Mets have made a couple of deals with Baltimore over the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, you know, they got Miguel Castro last off last uh, trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's only that's only that's really the only one. I feel like we've made some other deals with them in the past, but uh, not actually really you know, spring to mind. But yeah, but yeah, hopefully they you know they have that open line of communication. I'm sure Zach Scott is still working the phones pretty hard. Yeah. Um, especially with the trade deadline not coming up, but you know the Mets are about to embark in the summer, and so you got to start thinking about these things. But mm-hmm. 
prior to the Padres series, I had tweeted out that um, I thought it would have been an acceptable road trip if the Mets split the series with the Padres and then took two from Baltimore. And so they did split with the Padres, which I think was kind of the, not the best case scenario. The best case scenario would have obviously been to win four out of four or three out of four. Right. But uh Splitting with a really good Padres team is is pretty good when you when you consider that the the Mets are as beat up as they are. And I'm honestly surprised that we've actually been talking about it the last four weeks that we're still able to talk about yeah. that the Mets are, are still pulling this out uh, day after day. And hopefully we can continue that. Yeah, um, I, I hope so too. I mean, I think I think the series in San Diego was really fun to watch because I you know San Diego is just a really fun team first and foremost. Like, I can't, I can't think of a, another team. Obviously, I'm, I'm watching the Mets most nights, but, uh, you know, those games end around 8 or eight or 8.30 my time. And, uh, and so I'm always watching West Coast teams. I, I started the season kind of watching the Angels because I have Mike Trout on my fantasy team that has completely tanked. And uh, I no longer watch the Angels because they're not watchable without them um but yeah <laughs> but the but the san diego padres have been have been a fun team to kind of like fill in that late night uh you know baseball watching slot yeah i guess it's a little difficult for you because the mets do play rather early so like they're they're done by the time it's like 8 yeah. p.m by you anyway so yeah i mean it's, it's good and bad because i mean during the week you know i'm not not doing anything particularly, you know, at, at night. So for a game to wrap up at eight, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes it was, it's always brutal when the Mets play on the West coast because, um, because they end so late here, like the game on Thursday yeah. ended nearly at like 2am almost, you know? Right. And so that's always tough. I think, I, I think I was out, Friday night before, uh, before the Mets even finished the game. Mm. And so, um, but, uh, as long as they win, it's all that really matters to me. Exactly. So eight years ago today, Sean Markham. Yes. Mets legend, Sean Markham, (laughs) uh, pitched eight innings in relief in a 20 inning outing for the Mets. Uh, in a game where Matt, Matt Harvey pitched against Jose Fernandez. And uh, <laughs> it's pretty crazy to think about a guy throwing eight innings in relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he really wore it. He really wore it. You know, that was a tough, low-scoring game, and he really kept the Mets in there. Yeah, it, it was a really gritty performance uh, from both teams for 20 straight innings, really. Um, and, you know, I put out a – uh, a graphic on it earlier today about Sean Markham in particular, but when you look at the game as a whole, it was it was first of all Legend Central, uh, all of our favorites. Um, we had Danny Hechevarria playing for the uh, the Miami Marlins, uh, and on the other side on the Mets lineup, you had Omar Quintanilla went one for nine. <laughs> Marlon Bird one for nine, geez. <laughs> yeah, rough day uh, at the ballpark. Marlon Bird went zero for four uh, in six plate appearances, so he had two walks. Uh, Ike Davis went one for two um, before being pinch hit and substituted out for Justin Turner. Uh, 
John Buck caught all 20 innings, went uh, two for nine, uh, two for eight. Uh, Juan Magaris went two for eight. Um, and Matt Harvey, obviously, you know, he put in a, a great performance against Jose Fernandez. Um, and even the pinch hitters that came in, you know, to replace the pitchers, you had Mike Baxter, Anthony Recker, uh, Jordani Valdespin, and Rick Ankeel. Yeah, <laughs> the man right now. <laughs> Rick Ankeel, too. That 2013 yeah. team was really jam-packed with legends. I liked that team. I did, too. They I were really fun. did. Yeah. I really liked that team. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just the, even the pitchers that came in, Bobby Parnell put in an inning, Latroy Hawkins put in two thirds of an inning, Scott Rice with two thirds, uh, David Ardsma had put in one inning until, you know, Sean Markham came in in the 13th and really shut him down for eight innings. And, <laughs> and in typical Mets fashion at that time, you know, you're grinding, you're really, you know, battling to, to stay in the game and he gives up one run uh in the 20th inning and then the Mets go on to lose so uh classic <laughs> Sean Markham boys he 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 wore the loss in that game and he he drops to what 0 and 7 on the year or something <laughs> yeah so this was this was by far Sean Markham's best performance in a Mets uniform um you know he threw 105 pitches through eight innings starting in the 13th inning uh which is just crazy to think about he gave up five hits, one run, no walks, and seven strikeouts. But outside of those eight innings for the Mets, he he really wasn't very effective at all, and and he was uh, he was released not too long afterwards. So Sean Markham actually underwent thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. Um, oh, that's which, right. Which, as we know now, is kind of a death sentence for pitchers. Hopefully, in the future, it'll kind of be able to be more treatable such as like like Tommy John surgery is but right. as of right now it's a really difficult uh thing to overcome when you're a pitcher to come back and be an effective starter I mean we've seen how devastating it's been for Matt Harvey especially yeah um, I mean for Matt, Matt Harvey Fulton to even come back was amazing yeah and the fact that he's able to be I mean he's on the Orioles so I mean you know he's a guy that he's might so important for that team bad teams he is. Yeah. He's a good veteran in their clubhouse, and he's mm-hmm. a guy that's somewhat effective sometimes. He's 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 going to eat five innings for you, six innings for you every fifth day, you know, which is a far cry from what he once was. But you know, he still has a major league job, so I mean, that's that's important. But hopefully, they're able mm-hmm. to to kind of treat thoracic outlet syndrome one day when they learn more about it. Um, not that they don't know a lot about it, but you know, they find a solution that might help pitchers, but yeah. So who knows if Sean Markham was struggling with that, but a memory that actually strikes me about Sean Markham is the kind of thing I always think about with him is that he fired shots at the Mets booth at one point in 2013 after the team mm. released him. Yeah. So, uh, he, I, Gary Cohen, Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez made a comment on a broadcast about uh, Frank Francisco hitting Jason Worth with a pitch. Mm-hmm. So Ron Darling said, boy, that was obvious. For you folks at home, and you hear me all the time say that wasn't intentional, well, this one was intentional. I mean, that's the silliest thing I've ever seen. Base open, behind an account, nails him in the back. You know what that does? It goes, it gets one of your players hit in the next inning. Put Francisco up to bat next inning. These things aren't forgotten. And if it's not forgotten this season, it it won't be next year either. So then Sean Markham fired back 
Yes, Jason Worth got hit by a pitch today. And no, I wasn't there to see if anything happened before. But the guys in the New York booth are beyond clueless when it comes to knowing what goes through the heads of the guys in that dugout. I even heard one of the idiots talking about Hefner after he made a great pitch and, have a, and gave up a hit, talking about not knowing about Alfonso Soriano's bat size. Last time I checked, pitchers don't go through the opposing team's uh, dugout checking bat sizes. Hashtag get a, hashtag get a clue. Jeez. Um, and I don't think Markham ever pitched in the majors again after that, after he was on the Mets. He did. Um, he, he had a brief stint. Uh, where was it? Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. He's been pitching it for two years later for the Indians. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I don't know, man, that's pretty, pretty bold. You don't really see too many people coming after Gary Keith. And Ron. Yeah, no. And I mean, especially because, I feel like they would be, you know, that's a losing battle on Mets Twitter because Gary Keith and Ron are just so like beloved by all Mets fans, whether you're on Twitter or not. So going, going after them is, I mean, probably fair in that instance. Like I think, I do think sometimes, you know, the, the booth probably thinks they know something that they really don't um and and as time goes on that probably becomes more and more true as ron and keith are more removed from their playing days you know that's just natural so like you know i guess good for markham for kind of keeping them in check because i feel like sometimes you know when you're when you're that unchallenged i guess you could say um you know it probably gets probably gets a little easy yeah and you're right i mean Mark, uh, Sean Markham. I was, I've, I've, got, I've gone to call him Marcus Stroman like three times today. <laughs> Sean Markham. His name is like the opposite of Marcus Stroman. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Stroman, Sean Markham. But you're right. I mean, Keith, Keith and Ron played in the 80s and the 90s. So mm-hmm. at, at that point, that was already 20, 25 years removed when they were gone. So the game's changed, but I think those guys have a pretty good understanding yeah don't get me wrong wrong. they absolutely do and they're the best booth in baseball but i'm just you know just for for the sake of you know actually listening to what sean markham had to say about them i wouldn't call them idiots (laughs) no (laughs) but but i think i think the the message makes sense as a ball player you're like what what the hell are you saying? Like ob- to, to Markham, it was obvious that Francisco didn't mean to hit worth. And like, mm. obviously Jeremy Hefner doesn't know how big Alfonso Soriano's bat is. Come on. Like- <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird to think about Hefner as like a player now. Like, I agree. You know, like, like I, now I just view him as like the pitching coach, but like, I, I guess it is kind of weird because now we're at a point where we've been fans for such a long time that like, we see guys that we liked watching or that we, that we watched growing up that are now mm-hmm. coaches. Yeah. And it's even weirder with Hefner because he pitched on the Mets, like not even that long ago. And now he's like a coach. And yeah. so that's just kind of weird. But, but he's and, also- he's, and he's, and the players love him. That's the thing oh, too. Yeah. Like that was a big reason why Trevor May is even here is because of Jeremy Hefner, um, yeah. which is, <laughs> which is also hilarious to me because May has been in the league for a while and like he's a veteran, like without doubt, he's not a young guy, you know. And it doesn't. It seems like just yesterday that yeah, Jeremy Hefner was was pitching for the Mets. So 
which well, you, in fairness, he did go straight into to coaching after his career. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of a rare case because he, he retired early because he had mm-hmm. two Tommy John surgeries, yeah. but you know, it, and that just goes to show you because like he was teammates with Jerry's familia. He was teammates. <laughs> That's with, true. Yeah. Like they were on the team at the same time. He was teammates with DeGrom, mm-hmm. you know? So like he really is a young guy. Um, but uh, yeah, I love Hefner too. I remember I was at a game where the only scoring for the Mets was an Omar Quintanilla home run. And, and Jeremy Hefner let up like five unearned runs because the Mets defense was so bad. It was a brutal game. It was Shocker. one of those games in like 2014 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Mets, Mets have played bad defense? No kidding. We're now, now they're so good, but like, yeah. which it's still hard for me to grasp that they're a good defensive team. Because they were just so bad for so many years. And well, and when you watch, like, it's, yeah, it is kind of crazy because when you watch the team and you look at the lineup, you're like, okay, Villar, very, you know, very good glove, uh, or VR, sorry. Jonathan VR, great glove. Kevin Pilar, great glove. Um, you know, Francisco Lindor, platinum glove. Jose Peraza has been even better defensively than I think I expected. Like, I was almost expecting, like, I don't know, this is the first name that comes to mind, but, like, our heinous Reyes levels of just <laughs> average. <Yeah. laughs> oh, you man, know? that guy. <laughs> our heinous Reyes, Jesus. <laughs> that dude's like a fever dream. He had the same name as Jose Reyes. Yeah. He kind of looked like like Carlos Beltran, if you like. Right, Just, like, yeah. quickly looked. Like, he, he – such a weird guy. I, I he like just as like mysteriously as he showed up, he disappeared. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what I was expecting out of Jose Peraza. Um, yeah, because he kind of looks yeah, like Tom, was- Tomas Nito, and he like plays the same position as Jonathan VR, and it's just like, <laughs> who are you? Yeah, yeah. He's and he he was someone too that was kind of like an afterthought. Like he was like a guy who I expected was going to be up and down. Like he'd be a guy mm-hmm. who would fill in. Like if the Mets had like an injury like he'd, he'd get called up if like you know guillarme got hurt or right. something like that and then he'd Which go right exactly back what happens yeah yeah and then Peraza just like stuck around um yeah isn't it crazy that wilfredo tovar has played on the mets in 2021 and someone like matt harvey hasn't like yeah. if you told the mets fan that like eight years ago <laughs> they'd probably they'd probably lose their mind <laughs> That's a really hey, good point because he was hey like, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good. Hey kid, 2021, Wilfredo Tovar will be out there, but Matt Harvey's not. <laughs> That's all you're getting. You'll find yeah. out in due time what happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> that kid would be like, okay, crazy man. <laughs> Fast forward to 20. And it's also crazy that Ruben Tejada also, in a way, outlasted Matt Harvey because he did Tejada because Tejada had that second stint with the Mets I think in 2019 where he played on the team for like nine games or something like that but I'm who would have ever yeah. thought well I I mean I was like front and center for that Twitter banter that was like hey guess what Ruben Tejada is hitting like 330 in AAA like <laughs> and I was yep. like that that was to me one of like a very poetic moment as a Mets fan um, 
having, you know, lived and died by that 2015 team, uh, just being, you know, just by virtue of being like a college kid, being so excited that the Mets were good and like fully on board with that hype train. And then to see what happened to Tejada. Also, you know, similarly, I had the same leg break in 2018. Wow. Um, and so I always root for guys that have that injury, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I was like, you know what? If Ruben Tejada can suit up in a Mets uniform again, I'll be at happy for a long time. And he did. And I was, I was stoked about it. And I remember you mentioned the last episode, you really love Ruben Tejada as a player too. So yeah. that must've been great for, for you to experience that reunion. hundred percent. So since we were just talking about Sean Markham facing off against the 2013 blue, uh, 2013 Miami Marlins, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to bring up kind of an interesting moment um, that happened the year prior to that. So the year prior to that, uh, the Mets played the Marlins in a game that a player named Adam Greenberg got one at bat. And so Adam Greenberg is a really fascinating story. And it was driving me nuts the last few weeks because I thought about this a few weeks ago as a topic I wanted to talk about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then I forgot. And I was like, damn, I was like, what was that? What, did, what was that topic I wanted to talk about? It was driving me crazy. And then it popped into my mind earlier this week again. So I was like, oh yeah, let me, I got to, you know, I messaged you about it immediately. Yeah, yeah. So that way I, I remembered. Yeah. It's out there. And it's so, out the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Adam Greenberg is kind of a cool story. So he debuted in 20, uh, in 2005 with the Chicago Cubs and he came up and he was 24. And so you know, he was, he was a guy who played um, outfield, comes up to a 2005 Cubs team, um, and he comes into a game against the Marlins. Uh, and so – and this was in July of 2005. So he was like a midseason call-up. Um, they called him up from double-A. They called on him to pinch hit in the ninth inning against the Marlins – and in that first at bat, he was hit in the back of the head by a 92 mile per hour fastball on the very first pitch he ever saw in the majors from Valerio de los Santos, who was a reliever for the Marlins. And we, we saw it this year front and center mm-hmm. with Kevin Pillar and how scary those, those head injuries are when you see them up close like that. It's a little different, obviously. I mean, Pillar had facial fractures he was bleeding it was very visible mm-hmm. uh greenberg suffered a concussion though which is equally as bad and, and just someone who who is brand spanking new to the game they're wide-eyed this is the proudest moment of their life debuting in the major leagues you're a 24 year old kid yeah like that's scary first pitch you see 92 mile power fastball coming directly at your dome um so Carlos Carlos Zambrano, the pitcher, actually pinch ran for him in that ninth inning. Wow. Um, and the Cubs ended up winning eight to two. They scored five runs. Uh, uh, they scored eight runs. That was the fifth run that he scored uh, when he pinch ran for Greenberg. Um, and so the fall for this, though, was really what sucked. So 
uh, as a result of the injury, uh, Greenberg couldn't sleep upright or even bend down to tie his shoes without losing his balance. Mm. Um, he spent the rest of the 2005 season on the disabled list and continued to suffer from uh, positional vertigo, terrible headaches, nausea, double vision, and dizziness. So he had like these lingering effects from getting hit with this pitch. And so the next five years, he returned to the minors. He bounced around the independent league uh, and he couldn't, he couldn't get back to where he was in that one game in 2005. And that must be so disheartening too. Like he didn't really get a fair chance to ever get show what he had. And it's even more disappointing because when you look at the video of Adam Greenberg getting hit, the pitcher Valerio De Los Santos, like it very much does look intentional. Mm. I'm sure. I'm so, I'm sure. I'm sure Sean Markham would <laughs> yeah. have something to say. Yeah, about let's see that. what Sean Markham has to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you look, and it's like I don't know if De Los Santos, who was a veteran, was trying to maybe strike fear into Greenberg, you know, throwing him like like some 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 chin music, and right. then ended up hitting him by accident. But uh, it, it did seem a little bit uh, intentional. Um, regardless if it was or not, though, I mean, it, it really yeah. set this guy's career back. And so the Cubs, as I think we've learned, they have a really great uh, fan base and they have a really great, like really supportive fan base. Um, you kind of look at some of these, like what happened uh, in the documentary um, for Steve Bartman at 30, ESPN 30 for 30, Catching yeah. Hell, the Steve Bartman documentary. Obviously in that moment, uh, you, you saw uh, – Wrigley Field turned into a really dark place, you know, where they were, you know, ready to kill this guy. Right. Um, but you do have a, you know, you do have some good Cubs fans. You do have some, some really good Cubs fans. And one of those people that is a, is a interviewed a lot in that documentary, uh, I forget his name, but he spearheaded this movement called one at bat for Adam Greenberg, um, who was an indie ball at the time. And his mission was to get Greenberg an official at bat. Yeah, because um, he didn't ever get to have one. And so uh, this guy like had some connections to the media. So they were blasting it out on the radio. They were handing out flyers. They were posting it all up on social media, uh, on the internet. And ultimately, uh, the campaign succeeded. And the, the Marlins offered him a one-day contract to play uh, October 2nd, 2012, a home game against the New York Mets. Um, and so it's a little bit... Uh, I, I don't know if you'd say ironic, but he got to play for the team that that hit him when he was a rookie back in 2005. I would say that's poetic. Um, <laughs> yeah, it took it took some poetic justice there. Yeah, um, the contract for one day was worth twenty six hundred twenty three dollars, which was donated to an organization that researches brain trauma and athletes. Love it. Um, so he came in later in the game. Uh, Aerosmith's "Dream On" was his walk up music. Mm. Um, and he got a standing ovation. Uh, he faced off against R.A. Dickey, who we know had the Cy Young season. He was on the top of his game. He was amazing that year in 2012. And I believe before the game, uh, they asked Dickey how he was going to face, how he was going to attack uh, Greenberg at the plate. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch him like the major league player that he is. 
and Dickey ended up striking out Greenberg for the, uh, you know, in his at bat. And um, that was that. But uh, Greenberg said after the game, quote, it was magical. The energy that was in the energy that was in that stadium was something that I've never experienced in my life. And I don't know if I'll ever experience it again. Mm. Uh, he, he tried to, uh, to continue his major league career, but he didn't end up making it back to the majors, but it is really awesome that he was able to have that experience because so many guys don't get that. Yeah. And the fact that he was able to is really awesome. Even if he did strike out. Well, and that's, you know, it's, that's some real, like, that's the kind of stuff that movies are made out of or, you know, movie moments happen from like the first thing that comes to mind for me is Moonlight Graham, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, he, he describes in the, in the movie field of dreams, if you haven't seen it, I don't know why, I don't know how you're even listening to this podcast, but (laughs) whatever, you know, where he's describing his dream of, you know, winking at the pitcher before the pitch comes in, stretching a double into a triple, uh, you know, wrapping your arms around a bag. And then, you know, in the later in the movie, when he actually gets an at bat, he just hits a sack fly. Yeah. To him that's enough you know yeah and uh and it's kind of same thing with greenberg from what you've described as well as you know he he got so close and it you know it brushed right past him uh and you know he he fought and clawed to get back he did and yeah he struck out but who cares like <laughs> he got a know, fair chance yeah he got a fair chance which he never was able to get in the majors Right. When the first pitch he saw hit him in the head, he didn't stand a chance, you know? And so he never even, he, I'm sure it, for six years, you know, seven years between the games that he played in the majors, that must've been on his mind every single day, every day, just getting back there, just getting back there, getting another opportunity. Mm-hmm. And man, that's just why I love baseball so much. I mean, as you can yeah. tell, like, I love these little, we both do, we both love yeah. these offbeat, you know, yeah. kind of, kind of stories because yeah, they don't stand out as much as, you know, the typical highlights you see every night. But mm-hmm. these are some of the reasons why baseball is so amazing. Um, is for and and what are the odds? What are the odds that the game that they choose to sign him for, they're going up against the Cy Young, the, the eventual Cy Young winner that year? Yeah. Like, yep. and, and, he, and now Adam Greenberg gets to say, hey, you know who struck me out in my one at bat? Cy Young Award winner, R.A. Right, Dickey. Like, that yep. is so cool. Yeah. It's awesome. And, I think of anything, you know, you make, you're able to make peace with the situation. You're able yeah. to make peace with, okay, you know, I maybe didn't have the MLB career that I had envisioned. Maybe I didn't get to play 15 years and ride down the Canyon of Heroes and mm-hmm. get enshrined into Cooperstown. But I got to do a lot more than the average person does get to do. And he also, I mean, his, his post-baseball life, just looking at his Wikipedia page, is super interesting as well. He played for Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic. He ran for uh, office in his hometown uh, in, I think it was either Connecticut or Massachusetts, I don't remember. Connecticut, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was, and, you know, he lost that election, but, like, he still ran. And that's, yeah. I don't know, he's he's just a really interesting guy, and and it's, it's those kinds of things that... Uh, that make baseball worth watching and worth. Yeah. And, and I'm sure like, I mean, I remember watching that game and I remember like really like, like focusing on that moment. Cause I didn't know Greenberg Mm -hmm. from when that happened to him when he was with the Cubs. Um, But I remember that campaign happening. And then I remember 
them talking about it um, when he did get signed uh, for the one game. The Mets broadcast, I believe, was talking about it too. And I'm glad that Dickey did pitch him that way too. It's like, yeah, I think that's how Greenberg would have wanted to be pitched. Treat him like a professional. Yeah. You know, he's going into the dish. He's going to get pitched like Carlos, um, Carlos Lee or yeah. Hanley Ramirez, or whoever else was on that 2013 Marlins team, and Danny right. Echeverria. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, gr- just a cool story with Adam Greenberg. And, and um, it just shows, like, it just, it, like, I love when, when fans are able to impact the game like that, too. Like, they were able totally. to campaign for this guy to get another at bat, and they changed the trajectory of his life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, credit to those fans, uh, those, those Cubs fans to, to start that. I mean, you know, like you said, the, the whole Bartman incident, um, you know, obviously cast a little bit of a shadow on their fan base, I think, uh, just as a yeah. result, which like mm-hmm. Moises Ali wasn't catching that ball anyway, let's be real. But, no. <laughs> but that's beside the point. But for them to, you know, to remember that and hold that with them for, I mean, what did you say it was like five, six years and six, seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's amazing. And, and it just goes to show how much, you know, baseball can have, have an impact on whatever city it's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's great, you know, and um, you know, since we love baseball so much, you know, I know there was something you wanted to talk about too with, uh, with one of our favorites, Robin yes. Ventura. Yeah, much more lighthearted moment. No injuries or tragedy. Um, <laughs> just a really funny moment. Coming up <laughs> later this week is the uh, 21-year anniversary of a of probably the most entertaining rain delay in Mets history, where uh, where Robin Ventura, you know, somehow got a hold of probably just an extra Mets jersey in the dugout. They were playing in, against the Yankees. Uh, at Yankee Stadium and you know pouring down rain the tarps on the field and uh, if you haven't seen the clip of Robin Ventura uh, coming up to the dish in a Mike Piazza uniform with a drawn-on handlebar mustache uh, it is it's one of my it's one of my you know one of those like weird quirky baseball moments that kind of always holds with you and for me, at least, it reminds me of the sort of rain delay antics I used to get in when I played back in high school or younger even, uh, you know, if there was a rain delay and, and we were waiting for the, for the skies to clear or whatever. And just the, the silly sort of things uh, that teams would do. But uh, Robin Ventura, you know, he goes out there, look at, you know, does his best Mike Piazza impression, very like you know <laughs> swaying back and mm-hmm. forth just kind of very like loose the way kind of piazza looked at the plate a lot uh the best part about it is how he like calls for time with like a very limp wrist <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's very like he's like holding his hand back to to the imaginary umpire like it was yep. it, it's just really funny um, he was wearing did, like extra tight pants too yeah, yeah super tight <laughs> pants uh he has his like uh, batting gloves as well um which he had like i feel like mike piazza had like a deal with rawlings or something because that's those were the only batting gloves he ever wore um and it was it, it, the whole the whole sequence is really funny um and robin ventura absolutely nails this mike piazza impression but i do want to ask you you know say 
say the Mets are in a rain delay, you know, this mm-hmm. year with this team, who do you think fills those roles? Who's the Robin Ventura and who's the Mike Piazza? That's a good, I mean, they have so many characters on their, on their team this year. I think Francisco yeah. Lindor would be involved in some aspect. Oh, yes. um, I think, I think Francisco Lindor would be the Ventura in this situation. Yeah. And the first person that comes to mind would, would be um, maybe Pete Alonzo. I think that like you could maybe see, maybe Francisco Lindor would do a Pete Alonzo impression mm-hmm. um, or maybe even someone like McNeil, since it seems like they, those guys are, are our buddies that kind of like true have like a competitive relationship together. Um, I think, but, I think anybody attempting a Jeff McNeil um, impression would be really funny anyway, because he's a very uh, just like a very out outwardly, you know, expressive guy. Yeah. Cursing and, and <laughs> yeah, slamming angry. your helmet. Yeah. <laughs> I think Lindor is lighthearted enough where he would be the one that would be the Ventura. Pete Alonzo, Pete Alonzo, I think is probably like the Mets Piazza of like the offense now. Yeah, like he's definitely. like the most popular, probably offensive player the Mets have. Um, but I could also vocal. see Pete doing McNeil. Yeah, I could I could see Pete being the Ventura as well because he yeah. he's kind of like that dual kind of thing. Right. Um, it would it would either be Pete or Lindor, I think. Like those two right. guys are the ones that like have the personality to do so. Maybe more so Pete. You're right. I, I could I could definitely see that. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it was Pete Alonso who came up with Donnie Stevenson. So um, but... seems, such, seems like such a long time ago at this point with everything <laughs> that's happened this year. For real. Yeah. Like that. But... That feels like a distant memory. So Donnie Davis. <laughs> Dude, I wouldn't be surprised if I went to like a thrift store and saw like a Donnie Stevenson like shirt at like the thrift store. Like you can get already. Them. You can get them. I think Athlete Logos sells them. Also, Pete. Yeah. Pete's store sells them too. But um, yeah. But yeah, that's um, it's good stuff. Chili Davis too. Yeah, you're right. He really is uh, <laughs> like a forgettable dude. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was like, I mean, especially Buster Olney. If you're listening to this. Which I hope you are. I, I bet which you I hope are. You, which I which I bet you are <laughs> waiting for this to drop. You're you're the worst, dude. Uh, you know, and I'm glad that the Mets have, have shut you up. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the Mets got totally panned for firing Chili Davis, and now look like they're doing so well with like none of those offensive players, um, and it's only going to be better when they do return. Yeah. But so, yeah, I just wanted to just wanted to run that one by you, see, see what your thoughts were. I didn't think of Lindor uh, immediately. I was I was kind of along the same lines, thinking like Pete and McNeil would kind of be mm-hmm. at the center of it. But but Lindor is a great pick as well. Yeah, those like those guys that have like the big personalities, you know, like mm-hmm. like I think Nimmo has like that like kind of bubbly personality, but I don't think he has like the same kind of like humor in that respect like i don't think he has like the same kind yeah. of light like he wouldn't poke fun at someone like that you know no but someone would poke fun at him sprinting yeah. <laughs> sprinting on a hit by pitch or a walk or something maybe that's what they would do maybe maybe pete would like would like <laughs> pretend to sprint to first base and then and then dive into first base like it's a water slide <laughs> yeah that would be great so b- before we wrap up 
let's kind of do what we did last week. Let's uh, let's take another page out of my buddy's uh, my buddy's podcast over at Pleasant Good Evening. If you're listening, check their podcast out too. They're great. Well, let's end this episode talking about uh, a Mets legend that's coming to mind to us today. Who are we thinking about? Well, I kind of mentioned him earlier. Um, it's, it's really sticking in my brain right now is our heinous Reyes. <laughs> He's always a good choice, always a safe bet. Yeah. Um, who did I go just with very last week? Bootleg. I don't remember who you went with last week. I don't remember who I went with last week. No. Jack Reinheimer, maybe? <laughs> no, you didn't. I, you can, that could be today's. Yeah, I'll go with Jack sure Reinheimer. I'll go with Jack Reinheimer today. I know for sure it wasn't Jack Reinheimer, but we should probably keep Actually, track I, so we don't keep picking the same people. I'll go back and listen. I think we just <laughs> since we just started last week, we'll keep a, a yeah. list. I'm actually going to go with relief pitcher Chris Beck from the oh. 2018 Mets. Chris Beck is the legend I'm remembering today. Deep cut. Ugh, that guy was awful. <laughs> <laughs> he was so bad. Love it. <laughs> Chris Beck, I hope you're having a, one, a wonderful day. Our Heinous Reyes, I hope you're having a run, wonderful day. Well, that wraps up our podcast this week. Thank you guys for listening. As always, we can be found on Twitter at Mets Legends and now uh, on MetsMerizedOnline.com as well. So check us out over there as well. Um, we look forward to hearing back from you soon. Love it. Can't wait. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.